Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. This quits rate is nuts. I mean, the information's coming out over the past couple days because we've got the end of the month, right? So you already have ADP saying that we're going to have more jobs than we thought we'd have uh, in, 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 in February. Right? But they got it wrong before, and they can very well have it wrong uh, again. Then uh, you, you have just the reality of where Wall Street is versus Midwest Main Street. Two very different things going on. And then you have this Indianapolis Business Journal reporting 11.3 million jobs available last month, which matched January's figure just below the December record of 11.4 million. And the number of Americans quitting their jobs in January was 4.4 million, up from 4.3 million. That's absolutely surreal. What do you, what do you take from this? What do you take from the fact that people are quitting their jobs, yet you still have the same amount of jobs that are available? Those two things aren't supposed to make sense. Because if you say, well, they quit one job and they took another job, so therefore the number of openings remains the same, where did the other 11 million people go? There are just so many more jobs that were created? No, that's not it. It does mean that people are working in other ways and other places that don't get registered in the same way that we think of jobs. That's very possible. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's always a pleasure, guys. So great to be here. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Uh, Getter, uh, Tony Katz. Instagram, Tony Katz. That's that's my name, Tony Katz. You can find everything at TonyKatz.com. I have to assume at this stage of the game that we have people in in the gig economy in a series of ways, whether that's just an Uber driver or a hundred other different things, people, you know, buying and selling on Amazon, they they've heard their Gary V and they, and they're they're ready to go. They are they are absolutely ready to go and and and, and they're they're cool. They're making a living. They're doing fine. Cause something's up. The whole thing is downright peculiar. They have to be making money somehow. Let's start with at least the, 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 the basic. Let's start with the basics. They have to be making a living somehow. They have to be feeding themselves somehow. They have to be paying the electric bill somehow. So very well, they are involved in things that don't get registered the way uh, other things get registered. And therefore, you keep having these strange numbers, these high numbers, these massive amounts of quits. But if that was the case, wouldn't you have more job openings? 4.4 million people quit their job. 
you still have the same basic number of available jobs. Wouldn't you have more available jobs because people are quitting and then going into these side hustle businesses that they feel give them more luxury or more free time or maybe even more money? Sometimes money isn't the only thing. Sometimes you just want to be your own pope. That's an expression we used to use in my family. We still do from time to time. Uh, be your own pope. Be in charge of your own world. That's, a, that's how we described it. I don't know. Maybe it was sacrilegious because we're Jews. I don't know. Wasn't meant to be. It was, it was the idea that you control your own ship. You, you, you decide your own course. And I've got no problem with that. And I will tell you that the arbitrage uh, thing is, um, it's the way. My kids are talking about it. I'm like, go to it. Go. One of my kids uh, designs like digital art. They do a lot of creating. It's very, very cool. And now uh, we're getting on uh, OpenSea uh, to be able to create our own NFTs. We're going to use their art and we're going to create NFTs. Why not? You mean they have to go to the office? Where was the thing? Oh, where was this? I, th I think Byron York had it out today where you take a look at the available office space in Washington, D.C. It's unreal. It is absolutely unreal, the availability of, of office space, the availability everywhere. No one's going back downtown. No one's showing up at an office anymore. This is a serious issue for downtowns. It's a serious, serious issue, a massive issue that you don't have people going downtown. How do those restaurants survive? How do the office buildings stay open? That creates a lot of issues, a lot of problems. But I wanted to understand uh, this number right here. So I got uh, Dr. Matt Will on the line, economist, University of Indianapolis, uh, M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, mattwill.com, uh, Dr. Matt Will, Dr. Matt Will, on the Twitter box. And, sir, I'm staring at these quits numbers. And you take a look at 11.3 million jobs available last month, which matches the January figures. That was uh, uh, February, which matches January. And you see that the number of quits was 4.4 million, up from 4.3 million in January. If they're quitting their job, how do the amount of open jobs stay the same? What does this data tell you? Well, it tells me... Uh what we've known for a long time, Tony, is that we have a labor shortage, and it's primarily uh, government-induced, especially in California, where when the enhanced benefits were removed from the federal government level, California stepped in and offered additional benefits to replace those. In fact, I'll give you a little piece of numbers here. The first day that California offered enhanced benefits after the federal government stopped, 309,000 people applied for them. And in the quits report that we're talking about, California, the West Coast, had a record number of quits last month because they're being paid not to work, Tony. So guess what? They're not working. Let's go over that. Let's go over what it means to be paid not to work. What federal program is still in existence from the COVID pandemic day? Uh, I should say, I shouldn't say days. I mean, a lot of people think it's, we're still in it. But what program still exists that's paying people not to work? It's not the federal government problem um, when it 
pays people not to work. It's the states. And California is the one that is, um, is still offering enhanced benefits. They replace the benefits that the federal government was doing. So in California and the West Coast, it's the benefits that are be- people are being paid not to work. In the rest of the country, Tony, it's primarily simply a labor shortage, that people are going from low-paying jobs to higher-paying jobs. And in the quits report, the largest area was retail. Retail was the area that was near record highs when it came to people quitting because they're going from a, you know, like you said earlier, they're going from one restaurant to another restaurant. In fact, some restaurants can't even hire people right now because the retail trade is not paying enough and people can easily find higher paying jobs. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. Let me put forth my theory. What, what, what I'm kind of seeing, or at least I believe I'm seeing, tell me if I'm right or wrong and tell me if there is a way that this number actually gets calculated. What if people are quitting their job because they found the side hustle? They're going to uh, buy from Kohl's and sell on Amazon. They're, they're engaged in digital currency. They're selling NFTs. They're, they've got nine million ways in the gig economy to make money, control their own ship, live their own life, not report to a boss, not be downtown. They realize they actually love not being downtown, uh, whether it's Indianapolis or anywhere else, and they want to just, you know, be, be left alone. Do these numbers show that that's possible? I don't think these numbers show that that's possible, Tony, because what you're referring to is a very small portion of the population. It's true what you're saying happens, but it's a very small portion. You know, you're thinking of it from you, which is a very entrepreneurial person's perspective. And so you would be considering those kind of things. But the data shows us and history shows that the average worker is not very entrepreneurial. They're not looking to do the side hustle like you and I might do. So it's in the data, but it's not a significant it's not moving the needle in the data, so to speak. So that you don't think that uh, applies to a very large portion or a large enough yeah. portion of the, the economy to make it the big mover? Yes, it applies, but not to the degree that it would significantly impact that data. You've got to remember, we're talking about a 5 million person gap between available jobs and unemployed. 5 million. I mean, I don't think there's 5 million people out there doing side hustles. So that's a big difference. And again, we're not even back to pre-pandemic employment levels, Tony. We have oh, that, the that's the huge so one. That drives me crazy. Growth, he's, he's, he should just be quiet because he's not yet at the level it was before the pandemic started. That's exactly it. When, when, when the Biden administration talks about they created all these jobs, they did not create a job. People going back to work is not creating a job. But according to ADP, uh, the payroll people, they make the claim and we haven't gotten the official numbers yet, and they've made claims before that weren't true, they're saying that that companies added 455,000 jobs in March, slightly more than expected. Do you think that that's accurate based on your calculations, based on conversations you've been having, or should we expect things to be very, very bad? uh, Personally, um, it's not based on calculations. It's based on the ADP history. I mean, you got to remember, there are are a retail... uh, company that offers services to corporations um, for payroll, they always want to be optimistic. So they can, they tend to come in on the high end and they tend to overshoot their target. So I would say their numbers is historically wrong and it's probably going to be wrong again. 
is there anything that would signal to you what those numbers are going to be? Are we are we going to hit? I mean, people want to hit at least expectations, right? The expectation gets set. You hit it all right. We hit it. You come within a, a hair of it. That's fine. Sometimes they miss by 200,000. You're like, what the hell's going on here? Um, what are you seeing based on the people you speak to? Well, Tony, you know what? You ask me that a lot. Everybody does. And I'm not a forecaster. I can tell you cause and effect but I can't predict the future. So I don't know what the report's going to say. I can tell you this, that the the best report out there that we have, which is called the PMI report, um, it still shows a significant shortage in job, uh, in, in, in people taking on jobs, but it's better than the previous month. So I think we'll see an improvement over, over the previous month, but it's not going to be as large as ADP says. And I think it's not going to be as big as uh, expectations are. Remember, GDP forecast, the government's own forecast dropped from six to about three plus percent recently. So they see a slowing down of the economy. That R word that we don't want to talk about is a possibility. And even Jerome Powell talked about that the other day. So which one, which one would, would you be more concerned with? The R word, of course, is recession. And then there's the S word, which is stagflation. Are those things that are mutually exclusive or can we, can we be good enough to have it all? <laughs> you mean good enough facetiously or oh well in a you, bad you, way? nobody wants because this I, crap because i think it's gonna I, I mean i still stand by my prediction that we're probably going to do a, a recession i don't know how severe it will be um but as far as the employment picture goes i think we're going to stick with a, a, a labor shortage for some time now i really do i think we may have a recession with a labor shortage which is a very unusual circumstance so say that we're going to have uh, a say it again. We're gonna have a what with a labor shortage? We might have a recession with a labor shortage, and that's um, that's like when it rains during this during the sun, like when the sun's shining <laughs> and it's raining, and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. That's the way you feel exactly. Doctor Matt yeah, Will, think- economist, University of Indianapolis. Oh, look, I appreciate you taking uh, the 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 time. Um, if you were, I know you're not a forecaster. You keep talking about recession. Before I let you go, what is the one indicator that makes you think that we're going to have what the definition would be, which would be negative GDP, two quarters of it, that would bring us recession? Because we have an inverted yield curve. And every time in history we've had an inverted yield curve, it's been followed by a recession. And so everybody can go look up on Google what an inverted yield curve is. So every time we have an inverted yield curve, uh, we get to recession. This is, this is the argument. Yes, which means okay. short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, which means why would you invest for the long-term, Tony, if you can make more money in the short-term? So therefore, people aren't going to build factories and hire people. They'll do some short-term scam rather than a long-term investment because they make more money. Dr. Matt Will, I appreciate you taking the time. MattWill.com, DR Matt Will on the Twitter box. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Governor Eric Holcomb is in Slovakia. And from what we hear, he is meeting with Ukrainian refugees. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Look, just because he won't come on the show, just because he won't do an interview, just because he he is disrespectful, doesn't mean that I don't share what's going on with, with the governor. Of course I do. 
Of course I, 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 I do. And part of what we're, we're hearing about this, this trip that he's taking, right, he's going to be in Slovakia, and then he is going to be in Israel as well, is this, this idea that he's, um, he's trying to build out opportunities for, for financial investment, right? What, what does the future hold? You're trying to bring business, build business. And then he wanted to speak to, to, the, to these refugees. I really have no issue with that. None whatsoever. I, th- I think the question before us would be, is this some, does he want to do something for the refugees? Is he talking about bringing people back to Indiana? I mean, that's, that's my question. What, what, what does it mean when you, 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 you want to meet with them? I have, as, as a basic uh, kind of thinking, no issue with it. I don't know why I would. So he's visiting with these refugees. Are we? Is this about opening up Camp Atterbury again and and taking in more refugees? We're talking about women and children uh, from Ukraine. It would not bother me because those kinds of things don't bother me. Grown men, not a chance. And it was always wrong, wrong, that we took grown men to Camp Atterbury from Afghanistan. You go back and fight for your country. You'll notice the difference, and there are differences, and we would be damn fools if we didn't notice the difference. There are differences in peoples and cultures. Some people go back and fight. That's what we're seeing from Ukrainians. Some people don't. I think it's okay to notice and to ask why. Because I think it's wrong when you don't go back and fight. When you are able-bodied, you go back and fight. When you're not able to, you raise all the money you can to send to those people so they can fight. That's what you do. But you're going to leave as a a refugee and not stay and fight? Nah. No, 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 and no. So Holcomb wants to to visit. He's there with the Adjutant General, uh, Dale Lyles. To find out what Hoosiers can do to help. So according to the the reporting, the Ukrainian ambassador requested federal assistance to secure more military equipment, humanitarian aid and supplies, gas, oil, and first aid kits, a statement of support of Ukraine and condemnation of Russia, ceasing Indiana investments in Russian stocks and bonds, and Indiana business to halt operations with Russian entities. So there's been some divesting from Russian uh, investment. And that verifying the no public universities offer Russian-funded programs. I, I don't think I have an issue with those things, do we? Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So maybe I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I'm taking it the wrong way. But dear Lord, does Jim Ursay hate Carson Wentz's guts? And if he could call him four-letter words, 
It seems to me like you would. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today. JMV joins us right now from 93.5107.5, the fan, 3 to 6 p.m., uh, the sports guru. And the story comes out, uh, Jim Ursay talking to Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, saying, I wish Carson well, the former quarterback for the Colts. I think he has a great chance to go into a different environment and play great in Washington. It's just for us, it was something we had to move away from as a franchise. It was very obvious. And he goes so far as to say he had heard from some veteran players and if I was reading between the line, between the lines, what he heard from these veteran players is, this guy sucks. Get this cancer out of our locker room. That's what yeah, Jim Irsay t- is yeah, saying. Tony, True yeah, or false? Goes, yeah, hey, Tony, this goes back to the conversation we've had many times. Um, I had said that the decision to move on from Wentz was made on the plane coming back from Jacksonville. But, in fact, in Irsay's mind, it was probably made even before that. Now, it could have cushioned the blow had they made the postseason and maybe done something in the postseason. But all that did was solidify the fact that in Ursay's mind, he was not going to be the guy. And let me remind everybody, if you have heard Tony and I talking about this in the past, I had Jim Ursay on my show back in April of a year ago, and he went in-depth about how Frank and Chris, to a lesser degree, but certainly Frank Reich, had to convince him that Wentz was right for this team, to convince him to part with what ultimately turned out to be a number one and a number three draft selection to bring in Carson Wentz. He had to be convinced. And part of this, I think, Tony, is he was embarrassed by it all. He was embarrassed by it all and thought, all right, I had to be convinced that this clearly wasn't the right guy. Jim Irsay was pretty angry about it. There's no question about that. And as they move forward with Matt Ryan now, and you look in the rear view, there was no way in the world that Carson Wentz was going to get two years as the Colts quarterback here. Carson is not the scapegoat, Ursay said. It simply didn't work out for us and what we are trying to accomplish. I mean, he's a good man, a good father, and a guy who put a lot of effort into the year and worked really hard and wanted to have success. But still, he was a cancer and a pariah, and damn that Frank Reich to hell for bringing him to, <laughs> to Indianapolis. Let me tell you this, and it's a good thing you have honest folks like us uh, around here because here's why he cannot completely be the scapegoat is because we all know we all know around here what else what else led to the demise of this team this past year we all know what they have accomplished in the the Ballard and the Reich era so far with one playoff win we all know the shortcomings of this team so while Wentz was not going to be the answer and clearly was never going to be the answer to the owner and I guess a lot of folks inside that locker room we all know the other situations that are going on. There's, there's shortcomings, wide receiver, at tight end. They don't have a left tackle. They haven't been able to rush the quarterback. You know, you got a, a situation in the secondary now. You're going to have to go out and get somebody else. There are a lot of shortcomings on this team while we all sit around Tony and watch all these other AFC teams seemingly get a lot better, and including one just right next door, the state of Ohio in Cincinnati. Different circumstances, but we all see it. So a complete scapegoat of Carson Wentz, you don't get that around here because we all are privy. We all know exactly what's going on, and it all wasn't his fault. But that's not the story. I don't disagree with you about anything you just said, Jamvi. 
The issue here is that Jim Ursay is still talking. This is over. You picked up Matty Ice. You're moving on. We know you need a left tackle. We know you need some, some wide receivers. You're already doing some pickups on defense. We get this. Why is he still talking? And my only, the only thing I can come to is this guy is more pissed than we know, and it's starting to look a little petty. Tony, right on target right there. More pissed than we know. And he wanted to let a lot of that out. And you could tell with that particular article, and, and really meeting with the media down in Palm Beach yesterday, you could tell that he wanted to get that out. He, he, what, what he wants is he wants to say, listen, I am trying my damnedest to put this team in a position. I have a general manager and I have a head coach that's supposed to do that. But, you know, ultimately I was talked into this Wentz thing and it didn't work. He was really embarrassed at the way that season ended. And he's really embarrassed, I think, for a lot of the season, even the start of the season as well. But at the end of the season, he was really embarrassed. So I think you're right. The pettiness, we can go there too. But I think there was a lot of pent-up frustration that came out yesterday. And, hey, you know what? I'm going to finally clear the air here. I'm going to tell you exactly what I thought about this quarterback situation. And it's a fine line, Tony, because while he's doing that, he also has to make sure the Colts fans are readily aware that he is still on the same page with Chris Ballard, still on the same page with Frank Reich, because I think a lot of us right now are caught wondering exactly if these are the right guys for the job because it has taken so long. They have one playoff win. If you look at them in the hierarchy of the AFC, it doesn't look like that they're going to be there. Go out and win your division and hope you get into the postseason. That's kind of what the mantra should be, I guess, going into this year. But that was a frustrated owner that wanted to let some things out. And if you want to call it petty, I'd be right there with you as well. But I thought it was more uh, how frustration about this? than it was anything else. This article, these, these conversations, the guy is one step away from going full Will Smith. <laughs> no, no, listen. He hadn't been able to say anything, and you can tell the dude wanted to say something. I, I agree. Hey, listen, I can agree wholeheartedly with you, Tony. Move on. Because you've got, again, you've got wide receivers, you've got tight, you've got all this left tackle, all these things that need to be addressed. And I don't know how, Tony, they're going to be able to address them. So I would agree with you, move on. But sometimes, we're both dudes too, right? Sometimes if I guess the, the, the storyline or the narrative, if you will, is a little bit different out there. You want to get it out there. You could tell he just wanted to get it out yesterday. And I can appreciate wanting to but get it right. out, man. You're right. As a whole, he's got to move on. I can appreciate wanting to get it out. There's a reason I do six hours of radio a, a, a day. <laughs> but if, if, if you tell me that he's on the same page as, as Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, I'll tell you that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have to be believing at this stage of the game they have got a year to make something happen or they won't be here. Let me tell you this, too. I, I think... I think Ballard will. I think Reich is the one that's going to be. I don't think these guys are going to be tied together at the hip here. I think Reich is the one, I think, that is on deck of being on that hot seat and, you know, getting bounced if they have a really down season or a disappointing season. And I think what else Jim Mercer is doing, or at least did yesterday, Tony, was he does, he feels the pulse of the frustration going on around here. I know he listens. Um, I know that he reads, he watches, things of that nature. So he, he feels that. And I think he also wanted to present himself as, hey, I get your frustration, and this is what I'm trying to do about it while keeping everybody in tune with, you know, we believe in, in Reich and Ballard. But no, Reich is going to be the first one. Ballard won't be the first one. Ballard's got a little bit of more 
cushion, I think, in if this team is disappointing than Wright does at this present time. Is this a lot of making sure the fans know that he's he's with them? Is is this yes. a, a fan play? Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right, Tony. It is. That's it is. I mean, he 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 uh, to me, he sounded like a fan yesterday. That's kind of sounded like a disgruntled fan, you know, calling my show or somebody just calling your show and just kind of letting it out a little bit, right? Letting it out and, you know, this is my truth and I'm going to tell it. So, yeah, I think he is trying to make a connection with his level of frustration equating to the level of frustration with the fans out there. Whether or not that hit the mark, I don't know, but there is no doubt that that's a part of it. Now let's get into the story of, of Matt Ryan as he comes over uh, from a- Atlanta. Give me uh, the plus and minuses and what this team needs to do and put around him in order for him to be successful. Well, the plus is he's not, I guess, Carson Wentz, right? We'll start right there. I mean, his name's right. not Carson Wentz, so there's a plus. Um, he has been a good quarterback in the past. I asked him last week when he was on my show, I said, all right, I know your big numbers. Past, you know, Five years ago, you put up mammoth numbers. Where do you feel you are compared to that player right now? And everybody's going to tell you, hey, I think I can recapture that. I can get those numbers. The problem's going to be here, Tony, is he going to have the support group? Because Carson Wentz didn't have it. With all due respect, he didn't have it. Phillip Rivers really didn't have it. They have Jonathan Taylor. They have Michael Pittman Jr., and they have this so-called offensive line that's supposed to be a difference maker, and it wasn't any good a year ago. It was much better when Phillip Rivers was a quarterback and he got the ball out early. And they haven't addressed that. That's the problem I'm going to find because I think what you're going to have, Tony, this year is you're going to have the same old issues that you saw a year ago without the root of the problem just being Carson Wentz. I believe that Matt Ryan still has a good year or so in him. I just don't know he's going to have a productive year or so in him with the skill set that is around him because teams are going to load the box and they're going to load up on the handoff of, of Jonathan Taylor. The one thing you got to figure out, right? You've got to figure out how to bring some more talent in, and we'll see if they end up doing that. But the Rubik's Cube of this offense is Naheem Hines. You've got to figure out that. You've got to unlock him because last year – he was either on the sideline or he was out there. He wasn't really getting looked at. He was much better against Phillip Rivers. So that's something you can do. Slide him into the slot. Utilize him as a wide receiver. I've been an advocate of that for the past six months or so, and they really haven't done it. We'll see if they think about doing that. That is one thing on your team that you can do with personnel that you presently have. But the other thing is you've got to bring in your quarterback better weapons they don't have it they didn't have it a year ago and that is going to show even if matt ryan is a much better decision maker than carson wentz was are there any weapons that they could still go out and get one of the things jamerce said is that you know we don't have all the cap space in in the world getting matt ryan uh getting rid of wentz certainly opened it up getting matt ryan closes some of of that up some of the other things that that are done is there anybody out there you could go get no, I mean, this guy like Jarvis Landry, last check, I think, was still out there. He's in the neighborhood of a 30-year-old wide receiver that dealt with injuries a year ago. It's probably not going to, to float anybody's boat around here. But the problem that you have is you don't have a lot that will. And here's part of the issue is, and they, they said that again yesterday, I think it was Frank Reich that said, hey, I really like who we have at wide receiver. They say that every year. And, Tony, ultimately, they have an issue with who they have. It causes a problem. There's a midseason issue of non-production or non-availability. 
So they probably are crossing their fingers to see if Paris Campbell can stay healthy longer than five minutes, right? To see if somebody else might be able to step up, if you can get a little bit more out of Ashton Doolin. Now, you can reach out and get somebody. There's no question about it. Like it's uh, Landry, you know, who's a free agent right now. But I, I don't know if that is going to be the answer. But I think guys like that are a much better answer than what they presently have. We'll just see if they have any interest because Chris Ballard has shown in the past he has zero. So you might be looking at what we're all looking at as far as wide receivers going into the the spring and the summer and then preparation for the start of the NFL season in 2022. This might be it. That's JMV and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, 3 to 6 p.m. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Always do. More to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. Russia is not getting out of Ukraine. Russia is redeploying its forces. But just because they're moving themselves out of Kiev doesn't mean that Ukraine is safe. Not by a long shot. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today, no one believes that they are pulling out for good. As a matter of fact, the latest reporting shows shelling intensifying in Kiev and Cherniv. Is it Cherniv? C-H-E-R-N-I-H-I-V. So here's Russia claiming to be pulling back, claiming a, a reduction, but they lie. They always, always, always lie. This is who they are. This is what they do. They lie about everything, all the time, everywhere. You cannot trust them. The idea that the new focus is on the Donbass, right? That area to the southeast. Since when was that not the focus? Was all the movement in Kiev and, and Mariupol and other places... So, you know, the, the belief that they could just take the country and when they realized there was too much pushback, they said, all right, we'll just move everything to the Donbass. If we can get that, that's good. No. No, it's not actually that. Taking the Donbass seems to be the, 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 the easy stuff. Getting Ukraine to agree not to join NATO seems to be the easy stuff. But there's nothing that shows that they are going to reduce their military operations. Right? I can look at reporting here. Russia begins retreat from Kiev in major strategy shift. Faced with a surprising opposition and bogged down supply lines, Russian President Vladimir Putin is repositioning his forces in an attempt to gain a more effective position. Well, at least that part is honest. Notice it's not about going away. It's not about leaving. The Ukrainians are in for a long-term fight. But the one thing that is true is that Russia looks completely inept. Inept. And this is going to haunt them. This is going to hurt them. And of that, I am very, very thankful. I am glad, thrilled, overjoyed that the Russians, uh, or I should say Vladimir Putin, is going is going to suffer. 
that people know that he can't run a military, that he doesn't understand strategy, that he doesn't understand an enemy, that he underestimates everyone. They're going to understand that he's incompetent, that his military is incompetent, and you can run over them with a couple of the jeeps that you left in Afghanistan in about two hours. That's what we learned. And yes, the Ukrainians are doing an absolutely incredible job of standing up to the Russians. Doesn't mean they can do it forever. Doesn't mean they can't do it without a lot of firepower. The Russians will continue to bring people in by gunpoint and beat the living snot out of the Ukrainians. They will continue and continue and continue to do so. They're not going anywhere, guys. Just absolutely positively not doing it. Just want to make sure. So make sure we all understand how this is going down. Meanwhile, there is good news out there. The Hubble telescope, which isn't supposed to be working anymore as it's traveling through space, just picked up today. It just got announced today. The most distant star ever seen by a telescope It's 12.9 billion light years away. And this dang telescope finding things we never thought we'd see before. It's absolutely incredible. Just something to, for a little bit of a pickup right there. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, everything at TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.